In this episode, lots and lots of wind, lots and lots of snow, lots and lots of ladies enjoying nature, and pee bottles. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. All right, gents. So I am here in Washington, and I am very excited to hear about your recent trip to Rainier. I feel like when we first started the podcast, you were training for Rainier. So this has been like a long journey. So the story continues. What's the update? Well, it was. Yeah, well. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was an adventure for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the mountain really wanted us to to climb it the, <laughs> the the days that we were there i mean it kind of started off i think what a few days beforehand jeff um sent me the forecast and it was it did not look good kind of right away from 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 there so and then the, the forecast uh you, sometimes you hope oh it's extreme and it'll be milder in fact i think it was actually uh worse than than even the more intense than the forecast <laughs> it was yeah totally more intense so we knew so we had booked this trip uh, way back in 2019 before the pandemic. And so it was originally supposed to happen in, on the dates of May 5th through the 8th of 2020. And then that got canceled when COVID hit and they shut the national park system down and everything was closed. So no travel, none of that. Totally understandable. But then they gave us the option of refunding. So we went with a guide service, International Mountain Guides, and uh, they gave us the option of refunding our, you know, our fees or just rolling it over to the next year. And so in hindsight, I might have wanted to try to pick a, a nicer, you know, window uh, because early May, we were the third team to attempt Rainier from International Mountain Guides for the season. So the season started like May 1st, you know, it was really, um, really pretty early. And uh, the first two teams did not summit. And our team also did not summit. Um, we did, uh, on the first day, we made it up to Camp Muir and, uh, you know, basically got in our tents immediately because of the, the, the high winds and the cold. And, uh, you know, came out for a short while. Actually, we didn't even come out. I think they came around and gave us hot water to, you know, like rehydrate our, our dinner for the night. And so, like, I was in my tent for about 12 hours that night. <laughs> and uh, in, the, in the morning, um, our lead guide, Willie, who said, uh, he said they checked the, there's a weather station on the ridge right on Camp Muir. And they said it clocked sustained winds of 50, 55 miles an hour through the night with gusts to 95 miles an hour. And there was snow and there, you know, it was just, it was pretty brutal. And um, it looked a little bit better the, on that second day. So we did our classes and that was, that was good fun. I don't know. I, I learned some things, even though I had done some winter mountaineering stuff. How about you, Jason? Oh yeah, no, no, that, that was super cool. And, learning how to get roped up and the resting and the, and how to, and actually how to walk. It's something you take for granted, but it's a very different, you know, the way you walk in crampons and the way you climb, it's a very different step and it's in a rhythm and it's kind of its own, uh, 
its own thing. Yeah, that was, that was fantastic. Yeah, and doing it roped up has its own cadence, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should probably talk about that on the on the third day, but the... Uh, <laughs> um, my pants, I did get like one terror from the crampons in my pants. You know, it's like, ah, you know, just a small one, but it's almost inevitable. I did um, too. I got one too. So I think it's, you know. Yeah. Okay. So. It definitely inevitable. We we had to wear the, the double mountaineering boots from the start. So right from Paradise all the way up to uh, Camp Muir and, and then the rest of the trip as well. And those are pretty darn heavy. I mean, those things weigh probably five pounds per foot, you know, uh, it, you know, just lifting those things and, you know, trudging up the mountain is tough. But on that second day, we, we went through kind of like as planned, you know, we did the training, we learned cramp on travel and self arrest with the, um, ice axe and, uh, how to rope up and how to travel with the rope and what, you know, how to leave a certain amount of slack and all of that. And then we traversed the, uh, the, the glacier, and climbed up to about 1,100, 400 feet, something like that. 11,000. 11, don't shortchange us, Jeff. It's 11,000, not 1,100. Sorry, 11,400. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Woo. Which is about 11. It, yeah, it was, it was about 1,100 feet higher than what we were. So yep. it wasn't a huge day as far as vertical gain. But we, um, we went up to Ingram Flats. So we're actually camped on the itself about i don't know 50 yards above a crevasse it looked like and um uh you know it was a similar kind of situation where you like hunker down in your tents the wind's blowing the snow was picking up and you know the guides were really good because they're like you know still trying to be kind of optimistic you know they're like hey you know it's it looks like it might be, you know, clearing up a little bit, you know, later in the morning. So, you know, we'll just basically wait and see how it looks, you know, and I'll let you know. So uh, and he gets up in the middle of the night to see what the conditions are like and all that. And as it turned out, it was not looking good. So they did say I, I liked one of the sayings that Willie, our lead guide, gave us. He was like, um, when you dance with the mountain, the mountain leads mountain always leads so that's kind of how it worked you also left out another big thing which was the snow Uh, a lot of snow fell while we were up there so like the the first day was great because there was no new snow so it was pretty compact and climbing up wasn't that hard we didn't need the crampons and it was sticky and you were really able to get good footing and everything but a lot of snow (laughs) fell that second day so we had to break the snow all the way up to 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 the high camp um and it was a lot it was like you know, I don't, I don't know if knee deep exactly, but certainly close to knee deep if it wasn't knee deep, you know, and around two feet, I think was the estimate of how much snow had fallen over that day. So that was, that made it quite challenging also. Cause you know, and that's a very steep climb too. So that was breaking the snow going straight up was, was, uh, was a challenge for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Gosh. But yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience. It was fun. Um, the guides were amazing. They were, they were super fun and helpful and, and, very knowledgeable and patient, <laughs> which they had to be. Um, uh, but how big was your group? Like how many participants, you know, how many guides, how many per people, clients? Well, it was supposed to be, I think it's supposed to be eight usually, but one of them, um, one, one guy broke his hand, I guess, like the week before. So he wasn't able to come. His two friends did come, but he wasn't able to make it. Um, 
And then one guy was supposed to show up the first night, didn't. Was supposed to meet us at the trailhead and never made it. So I mean, it's kind of surprising they just never showed up because it's like, it's not a cheap trip, you know. It was, it was quite quite costly, at least for, for me and I think Jeff and most people. You know, it's not like, hey, I'm going to throw away, you know, $1,500, $1,600 and just not show up. I mean, it was kind of an odd an odd thing. But but I think, um, so we ended up with uh, uh, six six people set out from the trailhead um, and we only had, there were four guides. So it was almost like a one-to-one kind of ratio, which, which was nice. Um, and then one of our, one of our other fellow climbers, um, wasn't, wasn't able to make it to high camp. So they, uh, he got about halfway up and they, and a couple of the guides took him back down to camp Muir and he spent the night in camp Muir while we were up at, up at high camp, which, which no shame on that. It was really, it was really tough going. A group did make it what, four, five days after us, Jeff. Yeah, a few days afterwards, yeah. the, the first group from for the month of May made it up there. Yeah, and so I, I guess it, we were we felt a little bit vindicated that you know neither from IMG our guide or from any of the other guide services had any other group made it before that. So that was kind of a uh, I guess I don't know feel good kind of a thing. But yeah, the statistically only about fifty percent of the people who attempt Rainier actually summit, and some of that might be due to a lack of training or preparation or not having the right gear. But I think most of the time it's probably weather related. And I think that's what you have to be aware of. And that's why, you know, we were talking about this is, you know, you don't tell people I'm going to go climb Rainier this weekend. You know, it's more like I'm going to attempt to climb Rainier this weekend. And, and then maybe the mountain will have other ideas and this, the particular trip it did. Definitely. Yeah. I when, So I think when we did it, it was in September. It was like one of the last trips of the season. And I remember one of my friends being like, the good news is you can see all the crevasses because they're all open because early in the season, like they're all still covered in snow and you don't know where they all are yet. I mean, you have the guides obviously have an idea and they're like, the bad news is all the crevasses are open. So you're having to walk over them. Um, but spring has does have some advantages because a lot of times you have a more direct route. Um, because everything's still snowy, but then you also have potential weather. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting because I was down here and it was storming down because I was in the Seattle area when you guys were up there. And I remember like, you felt the, like this weather system come in and I totally had forgotten that you guys were on Rainier. And then when you guys said that I, when you posted that you were on there, I just remember thinking, oh no, because <laughs> it was bad down here. And I'm like, it must have been so bad up there. You know, I, th- I think it was like with the wind, the wind was really intense. It was that first, that first day and that first night up at Camp Muir. But once you kind of realized it, it was okay. The, I mean, the guides, all credit to them, they went and they retightened down all the tents and re-anchored everything to make sure it was, you know, soundly attached to the mountain and all of that. That Once all that happened, I think it was, it, you know, you, you're just kind of sitting in your tank going, oh, well, it doesn't look like we're going too much higher. But, and luckily, at least we did get to go up to high camp, which was pretty cool. Um, the other kind of bummer for a lot yeah. of the, the second day, um, in fact, all of the second day, was we had like no, almost no visibility. So like, you know, you're, you're climbing like straight up. You, you, you know there's a beautiful view in front of you, but all you can really see is like 20 feet in front of you. So, so that was kind of a bummer. You know, you climb a mountain, at least for me, I want to see the view, right? I don't want to, you know, making it to the top is great, but you kind of, if you make it to the top, you, you want to see where you are, right? That's that's a kind of a big part of it. Did you have, did y'all have visibility yeah. going from Paradise to Muir Camp? Yeah. Yeah, that was clear. The, the wind like literally, it was weird. It was almost like, like it hit us almost exactly when we hit camp. 
It was like, it's the wind kind of started picking up right when we were kind of on that last little steep pitch before you get up to Camp Muir. But then like, it was like, then I would, what, 10, 15 minutes after getting there is when the wind really hit. So we kind of like timed it almost perfectly. Like as far as if you're hiking, we didn't have to. Yeah. We didn't have to. That would to. have been a slog. Yeah. In yeah. The wind. Yeah. We had, and uh, when we went out on the second day, when we went up to high camp, there were three rope teams. So two of them with, you know, our fellow teammates. And then one of them was just two of the guides because we had that ratio. It was kind of out of whack. So we had a, we had uh, two rope teams, each of them with one guide and a couple of, you know, two or three people. And then one, two of the guides just roped together and they kind of broke the, tra- you know, the trail a little bit when they first started. Unfortunately, as Jason mentioned, they had to turn around and guide one of the guys back down to Camp Muir. So, that meant, you know, Jason and I and our guide were kind of like breaking the trail. And and it was interesting, too, because you would see um, it, the visibility was so bad as you'd lose sight of the other rope team. Yeah. You know, you're not that far apart, really. But, um, you know, they disappear. And you're like, wow. And then the wind's blowing, the snow's coming down. And the, any tracks that, you know, you're leaving are disappearing, you know, by the time they get there. It's it's pretty wild. Well, definitely sounds like you had full value mountaineering, like a true mountaineering experience, like in all of its glory. Yeah, I think um, the other thing, too, like the group that made it, I mean, I think talking to Willie the morning uh, we were, we would have summited or the I, he, I guess there were 30 to 50 mile per hour sustained winds on the summit. And it was uh, with wind chill, like minus 35 to minus 40 degrees. The team that summited, it was 30 degrees with like five mile per hour winds. So you're like, all right, yeah, you know. <laughs> I will say I almost felt worse for the group coming up the day we were going down, though, because they had to break that snow that we had to break up high on the mountain. They had to break that all the way up to Camp Muir, which is like, what was it, five, 6,000 feet of vertical to do that? So it's, that, it's about 4,600 feet of yeah. vertical. And uh, we had snow the whole way, but it was, we at least were able to kind of like kick in. You know, yeah. we didn't have to, you know, lift our feet to, you know, just navigate that deep snow. So that was kind of nice. Um, I have been looking at, though, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Jason. I was, I, I, I keep seeing pictures pop up in my social feed for like Camp Muir. And I saw for the last couple of days, there were people up there that were in micro spikes and like trail runners at Camp Muir, you know, and it just, and it's t-shirts, you know, at Camp Muir. And it's like, oh, you know, so close. And uh, that's just how it is. You know, it's, you don't know what you're going to get until you go. And um, so, and I will say, yeah, obviously I have a newfound respect for, for, for you, Severia, anyone else that's made it to the summit of that mountain. Cause even like in good conditions, that's a hard, like that second day when we went up, just going up to high camp, I mean, going, you know, once you start going on that really, really, really steep, you know, ice, really, really technical stuff. I mean, that is really difficult, you know, and, and so, yeah, yeah. Good on you for getting up there. Cause that, that, yeah. that's really hard. Even in good conditions, that's, that's a, that's a heck of a thing, you know? Yeah. We had a unique experience cause we did, so we went up to high camp or up to Muir camp the first day and then we were up there and there was a weather system coming in. And so normally you get to, you know, Muir Camp the first day, at least the way um, Alpine Ascents does it, you get to Muir Camp the first day. And then the second day you do like your snow skills at Muir Camp, you know, get all your mountaineering stuff in. Then you hike to high camp and then you do like an Alpine. 
pine start, you know, super early on that kind of like whatever that second night, you know, like midnight start is. Um, you summit for sunrise and then come down. But because there was a storm coming in on day two, we did a quick snow snow skills in the morning, dro- went to high camp, dropped our stuff and summited on day two for sunset and then came down, spent the night, storm hit, same thing, like tends to shake and whatever. And then we basically hiked out, I guess it was technically day three um, in a whiteout like the whole way, like just getting drilled. <laughs> That's when I learned that synthetic insulation does keep you warm while soaking wet. Yeah. Yeah. They... <laughs> Patagonia nanopuff. <laughs> Again, I have no choice as someone who's allergic to feathers, but, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, it does. That's, that is one of the benefits of the synthetic stuff. Of course it, it takes up half your pack, right? A synthetic parka is like half your pack versus the down one, which is like a, you know, a 10th of it. Um, I have to say too, the one that I, the up actually felt good to me. Like I didn't have any issues going up. I, I worked really hard. I trained my butt off, uh, the down, I hated the down. I really, (laughs) the down, the down is where I believe it or not. I wasn't really ever out of like really out of breath going up, but on the way down, I was out of breath. A couple of times I struggled to keep up. My knees kind of started locking up a little bit towards the end, which is not a good feeling. So I hated the down and probably if I don't do it again, it'll be because I hated the down. And I can't even imagine going to the summit and then coming all the way back down. How much worse that would have been than just coming down from high camp, which is what we did. And we even had a nice, a nice break at Camp Muir for like an hour. We, we had a, you know, we had to stop a couple times to wait for, for, for everyone to catch up, things like that. So, yeah. I think the downhill is like the dirty little secret that nobody talks about in mountaineering, right? That it's like, it's all about, it's like, oh, it's like get in shape to like get up, get in shape to climb the mountain, get in shape to get to the peak. And then it's like, no, no, it's really, it is the downhill that destroys you because it's like you're tired and it's like all the impact. And like, yeah, I definitely think that nobody talks about the pain and suffering of the exit, (laughs) the mountain exit. Well, well, and you always mentioned, Severe, when you talked about it, like, you were doing Ironmans and you said it was the hardest thing you'd ever done. So, I mean, like, yep. and it's not yeah. that I doubted you. I just, you know, you also said it was <laughs> one of the first like mountain climbing or, or like big climbs you'd done. Right. And, you know, and so I'm like, wow, I, I'm assuming it's very hard, but man, I, 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 that was in the back of my head when we were going up. I'm like, oh yeah. I, now, and especially on the way down, I'm like, now I see what she means. This is really hard. <laughs> yeah. And I, I definitely had some moments. There's, you know, there's a couple of pictures of me where I was definitely, definitely having a moment. And it was definitely a one foot in front of the other, you know, counting. Like, I mean, I, at one point towards the top, I was trying to count steps just to, like, keep myself, like, okay, like, one. And I, I couldn't count, count past eight or nine. And I would lose count. I mean, I would just, and, like, and nutrition was really hard. And hydration was really hard. Like, everything when you're on the mountain was just so, it just felt so hard. And I think it was a combination of exertion and, you know, altitude and like having to keep moving with because you're in the rope team and you need to make your times and yeah no it was um yeah I think my summit picture people can't see this because it's a podcast but I have like this half-hearted like ah like hands up <laughs> like, like yay I summited <laughs> but there was no there was no joy or excitement it was more like oh yeah just take the picture so I can go back down thank you <laughs> I think for me going down the the one thing that hurt me the most was just the boots. Um, you know, they kind of thrashed my shins actually because they're they're kind of like a hard outer shell, uh, those double layer boots. And so I tried to adjust them as much as I could, and I'm looking at my step as I come down to try to you know bring some relief, but they still end up kind of like bruised almost on my shins. So, um, which is 
you know, that was bad. It wasn't as bad as uh, I did a similar kind of a deal on Mount Adams the year before, um, last summer. And, uh, you know, went up to Lunchbox, spent the night, and then summited and came all the way down. And I'm wearing, not double wool, but I was wearing mountaineering boots, which are heavy and don't flex or anything like that. And the last, I guess, probably about three miles coming down from that were uh, bare dirt. There was no snow. And it was just brutal. And then, the, and then like the very last half mile or so, it's almost like sand. So imagine, you know, mountaineering boots in sand. It was like, oh, it's torture. Yeah, I was surprised because my feet hurt the whole time. I had rental boots. And my feet were uncomfortable the whole time. I thought, oh, man, my feet are going to be torn up. I didn't even have a blister, which was kind of surprising to me because it felt like I had hot spots on, on, on both feet, on kind of both edges of the front, like on the side of my big and little toes on both feet, but not even a single blister. So I guess I was lucky in that regard. <laughs> yeah, my, on that on my Rainier trip, uh, and actually recently on Whitney too, I have this thing where like whatever, my mountaineering boots like basically take out the back of my ankle, like just like layers and layers like so i have to end up with like flip-flops for two weeks after any mountaineering trip or you know and i, I tried duct tape like i try everything but yeah on that trip it was like mm, there goes yep nope no skin left in the back of my foot <laughs> good times and, and, <laughs> and uh to jeff's credit jeff you were saying they were hurting you like day one like a couple hours in so you toughed it all the way up to high camp you know with with yeah. like someone basically kicking you in the shin with every <laughs> with every step which can't can't be too fun all right yeah, so no. high, like high point of the trip like so something like best like favorite memory that you'll look back on and like yeah sure so uh i think that morning on the i guess the after the second night where we wake up at high camp uh the sun was actually out for a short while so that was beautiful because we could see little tahoma with the sun coming up and you know the the clouds down below because you're up above the clouds at that point and uh in fact jason's got an amazing photograph of that at sunrise so uh we'll add that to the show notes if we can and uh that was pretty amazing i think the other thing though w that was kind of nice for a while was actually hunkering down in the tent when it when the wind was just blasting us and the snow was coming down you can feel the snow because you know the side walls of your tent the snow is piling up like halfway up the tent you're almost being buried in the snow and you could feel it because it's like you know how the tent you push on the side and it, it you had gives it doesn't give you're, you're just like oh that's just solid snow there and uh, the wind is howling and, uh, you know, it just kind of feels cozy to be there. You know, it was a little lonely because we're all in our own separate tents thanks to COVID. But um, but it was cool still, you know. So you guys were each in your own tent. <laughs> yeah. Even though you traveled Absolutely. together, like even though traveled together, like the whole, oh, well, that's OK. Jeff and I wouldn't really fit well together in those tents like. Like, well, they, I mean, to be honest, but it, it, wasn't a very big, it wasn't a very big tent. The nice thing, night one, it was funny. Jeff came to visit me, and I didn't know who he was for a few minutes just because it was so loud with the wind. So I thought I was talking to one of the guides, and then I realized it was Jeff. I'm like, oh, nice. Jeff came to see me. Because, I mean, we'd been in our tents for like five, six, seven, eight hours or something like oh that prior God. to that. And then the funny, the, the second night, we were next to each other, so we – I think we tried talking and then both of us pretty much fell asleep to take a nap, I think. And then we chatted a little bit, but, but by and large, uh, yeah. The one bummer about it, I think this trip was because of the conditions. Like 
we didn't even barely get to talk too much to like our other fellow climbers. We didn't get to talk to the guides. Oh, they'd come in and poke your head in and talk to you for a bit, make sure you're okay. But it wasn't as social as usually this kind of thing would be, I think. You know, and because of COVID, like, you know, I know, I think usually you would all eat together in a tent or you would yeah. all eat together. We didn't get to do as much of that, which was kind of a bummer. Um, and the other climbers were all super nice, super cool people. So I, it would have been cool to hang out with them a little bit more. Um, I hate to, to kind of copy Jeff's uh, favorite moment, but honestly, that's that that morning, the sunrise the next morning up there was was by far the most like epic thing. I mean, the view, the shot of little Tahoma. Um, also just seeing, <laughs> seeing more than 20 feet in front of you was like, was so, was so nice. I, um, uh, we have another picture I took the, the night before. It's kind of funny, you know, I, you know, um, you know, you have to get out to use the restroom. So I had to use, you know, get out to, to, to go. And I looked out and it was, I could actually see for the first time that the hills on the side of the camp, cause we couldn't see them coming over when we came into camp or at any time before. And I'm like, Oh, well, after I go to the restroom, I'll, I'll get my camera and take a shot. And then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I better do it now. And thankfully I did. I crawled back in, grabbed a quick shot. Because certainly by the time I came back from going to the bathroom, it was shrouded in cloud again. But then, yeah, that morning was beautiful. That, that, that was like one of the most stunning views I've ever seen. It was just kind of like what you imagine a mountain view to be. Like little Tahoma shooting straight up. And it's a really neat looking sort of like pyramid like spike of a mountain and that just kind of shooting up out over the clouds so that was that was really cool that was definitely i think the highlight other than of course just meeting the guides and the other climbers that's always a fun thing to do and you know so yeah but it was a great trip you know it was a great adventure i mean what are you gonna do you know it's uh you know the the, the guides made the right decision i think actually i guess the biggest part of it was uh, the, all the snow um created avalanche risk and that was i mean at least you know I don't know. I'm one of the other compounding factors. It was sort factors. of the trifecta, you know, like yeah. the the snow, the deep snow, the high wind, and the bitter, bitter cold. They were talking, you know, wind chills of negative thirty and all of that. Which I I think we were geared up. We could have dealt with the cold. Yeah. We could have dealt with any one of those things, but all of them together was just yeah. too much. So, yeah. Oh, I gotta say one thing though. We didn't mention and. This, this is something that just kind of popped up. So they did a, our guide service did a great job of like giving you a list of all the stuff you should bring. So we kind of went through that, and you know, of course, if you don't want to, if you don't have own some of the equipment, and you don't want to buy it, you can rent it from them, which is helpful for a lot of people if you're not going to do this again. And uh, but one of the things that popped up on the list that wasn't there when we looked at it the first time was something called a pee bottle. And I'm like. Pee bottle? What? I've never even heard of this. Okay, and and even when we did our gear shakedown on the day before our our first day of the climb, uh, um, you know, our lead guide Willie he didn't say anything about the pee bottle. You know, and it's like, well, I got one. I got one of these bottles. It's just a a water bottle. I got a vapor water bottle, which is kind of like one of those collapsible ones that you can roll up when it's not being used when it's empty. And so I, it's lightweight. It's a few ounces. I rolled it up, threw it in my pack, and I didn't really think too much about it. And then when we were, you know, basically hunkered down in our tents and the wind is howling and it's cold and it's the middle of the night and you, you know, have to, nature calls. I didn't have to like layer up and put my boots on and do all of that. You know, basically I was able to use my pee bottle and then empty it out in the morning, you know, when I 
answered the call again you know, <laughs> and actually did get all dressed up and all that. So uh, highly recommend the pee bottle. I'll, I think that's going to going to be like a thing that I'll do in the future. Oh yeah. No, I learned about the pee bottle on Rainier and it, it's, it's like hands down my favorite thing. Like it doesn't mean snow camp doesn't matter. Like I just hate getting out of my tent in the middle of the night when it's cold. And yeah. for yeah. the ladies listening on the call, my preferred pee bottle of choice is Nalgene makes a wide mouth soft sided bottle. And so it's got the wide mouth. So it's easy for us ladies to like, you know, get in there and aim. Cause we don't have the aiming quite the same aiming accuracy as you gents uh, and then the soft side makes it super easy to do but i love me a good pee bottle <laughs> so, so now let me make a case for the pee bottle as someone that didn't have one <laughs> so yeah <laughs> so so the first time I, ha- I had to right it you know sustained winds 50 miles per hour gusts up to 90 it, it had died down a little bit so i put on like seven layers because again it was freezing out and um, the, there were two spots you could go. You could go up, which was kind of into the wind and into the snow. So that didn't seem like a good idea. Or you could go down. So that's what I chose to do. And, you know, there's just two little flags sticking out. And that's where everyone's supposed to go. So it's not just like everyone going by their tent. So I go out. And mind you, it's on a slope, a pretty steep slope. So like your toes are probably like a, a couple inches below your heels. So you're already kind of in this weird kind of standing like in a prone you know, kind of leaning back position. I waited for the wind. I did everything I thought I should. I waited for the wind to kind of die down. It's like, okay, I kid you not. The very second I started to go, like 80 mile per hour gust of wind just slammed <laughs> right into my back and literally almost blew me forward, like onto my face. Into the pee pile. So like the whole time I'm like trying to hold my balance with this crazy swirling like massive wind behind me while i'm trying to like you know answer nature <laughs> and uh yeah so bring a pee bottle because that would not have happened to me had i had i brought a pee bottle but i'm you know but yeah i survived it thankfully nothing really bad happened that could happen in that scenario i would have much rather have taken care of that you know in the warmth of my tent and not risked you know being blown face first into the giant you know hole of snow where everyone goes that would have been very bad. And it very nearly, I kid you not, very, very nearly happened. <laughs> also, a very important rule of pee bottles is to mark said pee bottle yeah. very clearly. Like, I do, like, Sharpie a big P with a circle around it. Like, this is not ever to be used as a water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I had, and I, my water bottles were the hard uh, Nalgene bottles with the wide mouth top. So those were totally separate. And But that's a good point, like, for the future reference, you know, <laughs> let's not mistake this bottle. Um, so, since we're talking about bodily functions, one other unique feature, I guess, of climbing <laughs> Rainier is the blue bags. So they they uh, that was part of the drill is they hand you a little kit um, with two bags. And basically, if you have to go when you're up on the mountain, you hold it up against your butt. And, and just poop directly into the bag. And then you seal it up with a with a twisty, and then you put it in another bag, and you seal that up, and, and you have to pack it all the way out. Well, fortunately, I guess, is there is a... Um, there's a couple bathrooms at uh, Muir Camp. And so that worked out really well for, like, the first night. And then if you could just kind of time your body rhythm properly... You didn't have to use the blue bag at all because you come back by there on the 
second day and and that's actually i think both of us were able to do that so we didn't have to use the blue bags at all but um just a thing to kind of keep in mind you know as you're climbing those mountains you know some of those places i know um a lot of places, Whitney and, and uh, the, Adams, the Narrows, other places. The Narrows at Zion was the first time I had to use the wag bag, and I had to use it at Whitney. Yeah. So, so I've I've done it a, twice before. Thankfully, again, was able to not have to do that. Uh, on, I was able to use the one the one at Muir, which was, it's nice not to have to, right? It really yeah. is. <laughs> it's really nice to not have to and to not not have to carry it, you know. Uh, but but you know, hats off to everyone who does actually follow the procedures and use the bags when they if they have to. And carries packs all that stuff out and leaves no trace because what a nightmare that would be if that was not the case. So you know that good good reminder that everyone should leave no trace. Yeah, and and I'm gonna just do one more like a before we move on one final thank you to our guides Willie Keith and we had two Kim Kim and Kimbo we had two Kim guides so one was Kim one was Kimbo they were all amazing and great and and fun and uh, my favorite thing overheard I think one I don't know which of the Kim said it. But I was in my tent, like they're like, "Wow, I've never seen winds like this at Camp Muir." <laughs> I'm like, "I'm like, yeah, I don't think that bodes well for us." <laughs> but right. it does make you feel a little better. When the guides are talking about, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, it was, it was. Uh, they're they're pretty amazing, honestly. And like Willie breaking that snow is, I mean, he's like a bulldozer. Like we're going straight up, and he's just he's taller than me. He both of our male guides were taller than me, which is crazy. I'm usually the tallest doing anything outdoors. It's rare that I meet people that are taller than I am. And both of those guys were like, I think six, five and like six, seven or something like that. So they were super tall. And Willie was just like a bulldozer plowing through the snow, like straight up the mountain. And Jeff and I are just kind of trying to, trying to keep up. I mean, it's super impressive what they, what they can do and how fit they are and you know, how technically adept they are. And, you know, I, I think Jeff and I commented about how we both just felt the clumsiest we'd felt probably since we were babies, just wrapped up in like 50 layers, you know, <laughs> you can like, you feel like the Stay puff Marshmallow Man, you know, you're all wrapped up and your hands are cold, so you're not, you know, and you have thick gloves, so you're just like, even like open like a Starbucks Via packet and you can't do it, you know, uh, it was a, it was a crazy time, but it was a great adventure and, you know, it was, I'm, I'm very happy I did it probably not going to do it again but yes. i'm very happy i did it that's that's kind of where i landed we'll see in two years maybe in two years i'll i'll get a hankering again if my you know, knees feel you have that selective memory you know like yeah. after a while you, you remember like all the like that beautiful sunrise and you know like the, the adventure and you forget about the cold and the wind and the misery you know? later, later window if i'm going to do it again i would definitely try yeah. a later window for sure absolutely w- yeah. would you do it again severia yeah they say th- I would. I actually yeah. would really like to do it um, for two reasons. One, because like I feel like I know so much more than I know then, and then um, my dirty little like summit issue that I have is so, like you get to the top and like you're at the crater, and like you summit, but like the actual summit is like across the crater, and I just remember like we like me and my friend like our little team got to the top, and I see like part of the other group like trotting across the crater and. and <laughs> And my poor face must have just like dropped because our lead guide was like, you've reached the top of the mountain. You've summited Mount Rainier. Technically, the high point of the summit is, you know, a quarter mile across the crater. But if you do it, you need to do it quickly. And I just was like, nope, I'm good. You said I'm technically on the summit. So I would I would like to do it again to get to the, the maybe to do the summit summit, um, maybe do a different route. But So Severia, are you saying you didn't summit either? So technically, I have not summited either. 
<laughs> so maybe the three of us oh, should try no, again. I, yeah. The three of us should go. Uh, no, like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we can <laughs> do it again. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Well, let, why don't we switch some gears? As, as many of our guests notice, we usually have a guest, and today we don't. One of the reasons is we've all been sort of busy and traveling uh, all around, and part of it also, Severia had her first event, um, her first post-COVID um, yeah. Adventure Us Women. Uh, so how did it go, Severia? Tell, tell us all about it. I'm super excited to hear. It was amazing. My heart um, is still so full. I am like so blissfully happy and totally exhausted. Um, as you mentioned, this was our first event back since the pandemic. Um, we had 27 women come join us in Bend, plus, you know, and then additional like guides and staff. Um, but it was amazing. We, you know, we, everyone had their negative COVID test like submitted before. And I would say like 95% of the people had vaccinations, so it felt good. We did temperature checks. We did, you know, masks when we were in close quarters and all the things. But like it also, we also hung out outside. And for a lot of us, um, attendees and staff and guides, it was the first time that we'd been in a group with people who weren't from our same household or in our pods and just connecting and finding community again and meeting new people. Um, And it was pretty freaking great. Um, we had tons of activities. We did mountain biking. We did, um, stand up paddleboarding, kayaking, um, hiking. We did, um, one of our hikes turned into snowshoe cause Tumalo mountain is still under snow. So we got a surprise snowshoe. And then, um, another, the waterfall hike that we were supposed to do, the road still closed or gated. And so they ended up doing like a hike out in the desert bluffs and people were eating ants. I mean, it was like, you know, things got crazy at the weekend. Um, Plus we had, you know, plain, we had a plein air painting class and yoga and wilderness survival. Anyways, it was just awesome. And then we just hung out by the campfire and ate s'mores and ate delicious food and talked and made new friends and all the things. Um, and I think it was good for the hearts and souls and minds and bodies and all the things. Um, so it was really, really fun. We had women from all over and um, yeah, it was great. So it was a good reminder of what I do, why I do what I do of creating these spaces for women to come together, which was really good. Cause I think in the pandemic, it's, um, it's just been such a long time, you know, you sort of like, what, about, what is this business I have? Why, what am I doing? Um, and so to have everyone come together, it was great. And we had women who were in their, you know, mid twenties, just graduating from college all the way to late sixties, early seventies. Like, so we had this like beautiful age range of women, we had mothers and daughters and friends and people coming by themselves. And um, yeah, it was just all the things. It was just super, super fun. In Lodge, we did it at Lodge Camps and Bend, which is a great loca- great venue, um, great location. And then and now I'm looking at Boulder because we have Boulder coming up at the end of June. And we have um, we do have a few spots left that we're trying to fill. So Yeah, come on, come on, ladies. Uh, the, come join you know, us in Boulder. You know, what a great way to sort of like, join you know well let's hope knock on wood with biden and things finally seem to be going right what a great way to celebrate you know coming back out into the world and like you know re-emerging from our 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 little cocoons and whatever and and you know that seems like a very safe way i mean i still don't feel 100 percent natural talking to people and whatever that seems like a very good like safe fun environment like pressure-free environment way to like meet new people you know what i mean totally yeah outdoors doing fun activities yeah, all the things. And we did temperature temperature checks in the morning. You know, we did temperature. We still were doing temperature checks and wearing masks when we were in 
those quarters, but like, you know, it was just, it was, it was awesome. It was really, really great. A few of our, did I, did I, did I not, I think in, on social media, I saw a few, a few of our former guests uh, were present as well. We're instructing, right? Yes. So we will wanderlust tours. So, um, so some of the tour companies that we had talked with were there. Um, but like, so Dave's company, Dave's company, wanderlust tours, um, his lead guide, Courtney, who is just this phenomenal, amazing wealth of knowledge that everybody loves. She was guiding for us. Um, I'm trying to think who else is, have we, um, Latasha Jitterbug Art. Um, she's an artist. I don't know if we've interviewed her no, not yet. yet or not, but we, we should. She was amazing. <laughs> yeah, she was amazing. She was teaching plein air painting. Um, I actually, I actually watercolored and it didn't look like a second grader did it. It was really exciting. Um, it didn't necessarily look maybe exactly like the river that I was sitting next to, but that's okay. Um, you got the idea. Um, I'm trying to think. Did I see Eileen? I thought I saw Eileen and maybe maybe Allie or one of the girls from the grit. I saw a grit clinic. I thought so, I saw yeah, a grit so clinic. So grit clinics, yeah. So Tina um, Tina was our mountain bike teacher, um, mountain bike guide and instructor. And that was through, and she's from Ladies All Ride and Grit Clinics. And then, yeah, Eileen our, was our lead photographer. And then she also taught nature photography. So for those that were in her, some people got to actually take her class, which was awesome. Um, yeah. So and I, yeah, Eileen's been posting a bunch cool caving pictures and lots of cool things. So yeah, on our Instagram, um, lots of pictures and in the stories and stuff. Lots of cool stuff. We should make sure to have a link to uh, check out some of the pictures from that event because, yeah. you know, it just sounds like so much fun. Um, we, you know, I wish that they had something like that for us, you know, the guys, but you know, yeah. we'll have to see. I think it's like every, it's like because every, every, every nature <laughs> trip ever, I think is us. Jeff. Yeah. White guys. That's like every well, nature exactly. trip well, almost ever go. done, you know? <laughs> every, yeah. You know, that's a good every, point. Every trip ever. Yeah. Fair point. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the fun, unique things about our events too, is that it's not only like women who attend, but women lead all the classes too. So it's all women guides, all women instructors, um, which is also a cool, a cool piece of it too, just to see women in leadership, um, in the outdoors, which is a, which is a cool thing. So, yeah. yep. And we'll, um, we're trying to, like I said, we're trying to fill Boulder. We'll maybe put, check out the show notes for an almost their, uh, discount code. Yeah. Discount get code. Those, <laughs> get those last spots. Um, if you're a lady, last spots filled. if you're a lady, you'd be crazy, like not to do it. I don't think. And actually, you know what? Our yeah. events, um, it's it's for women, and it's for anyone who feels a woman's retreat space is right for them. So um, just for anyone listening to this podcast, um, you know, it is very inclusive in that way. So for anyone who um, feels that a woman's retreat space is right for them, we want you to join us. And, yeah, it's pretty exciting. And you have a third one as well. Correct. Mm-hmm. In Georgia at the end of September. And how's that one doing? Are there spots that, on that one as well? Yep, there are still some spots there. Okay. That one's about halfway full, but it's, you know, we, um, yeah, it's about halfway full. That one's got camping and cabins, and that's going to be a totally different experience. It's more like a summer camp in the middle of the mountains. Um, end of September, yeah, very excited for Georgia, but um, also really excited about um, Boulder. We're staying at a place called the Adventure Lodge. It's on, a, it's on a creek. Like, literally, there's a creek that runs through the middle of the property. It's just gorgeous. Um, and there we're going to be rock climbing, mountain biking, hiking, um, fly fishing, uh, doing fly fishing classes. We're going to have a, um, a plain, the plein air painting again, journaling, yoga. We're having um, a Native woman come and teach beading. She's doing a beading class. Um, oh, yeah, beading, like beads. Like, I thought you said beading. beading. Yeah, like I'm beads. like, hey, yeah. what are you beading no. up? That's not, that's <laughs> no. not, that doesn't sound right. No, be- beading, beading. beading. Okay. Um, yes, very different. Bee. That's a very different, very different. thing. 
Yeah. Very different. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a really unique experience. We're super stoked. Um, so, so to be clear, yeah. no fight club, no fight clubs no. at the, at, at the adventurous There's women. No. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, good. The closest yeah. you're going to get is hug club. Okay, good. That sounds better. <laughs> hug club. Hug club. <laughs> Which sounds awesome. Hugs, you know, especially now, fives. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and also too, um, because of the new the new guidelines, um, we've opened up also double occupancy for people who are fu- fully vaccinated um, that are comfortable traveling together. So that was something that we for Bend it was all single occupancy, um, but because we of the new um, guidelines, we're doing um, fully vaccinated friends can um, come together. So and we have one more cool. camping spot left and um so we have one more camping spot left for boulder we have some more, we have a bunch more for georgia but for every camper who comes ust gear is providing a tent a sleeping bag and a sleeping mat and you get to take them home with you so it's 700 dollars worth of camping gear that you get to use and then take home with you included in the price of your ticket just wow, saying wow that's a pretty good deal yeah Ooh, yeah that's sweet yeah great way to like get into it you know yeah and you get like you again people know can't see it but you can see we got cool water bottles from here lots of swag yeah. lots of swag, swag ba- yeah swag bag over like 300 dollars worth of stuff in your swag bag lots, there's so many good reasons to come so yeah. many good reasons to come no absolutely so, cool um and according to the women who were there it was life-changing so that's fantastic i'm so yeah. happy it went well and i know like how much stress that was and how bad it was for you last year having to cancel them all and all that so i'm yeah. so happy that you're able to you know rise from the ashes of 2020 and and, yes. and come back even you know better than ever that's <laughs> yeah. that's, that's that's just so great to hear well, it definitely well, felt good love before we wrap stories. it up yeah we're, we're, we're almost out of time here but but before we wrap it up let's uh hey what do we have going on the rest of the summer Jeff, Severia. Severia, what do you got next? What's your next adventure? So I have, obviously, I have the Boulder Escape at the end of June. I'm doing, uh, with some girlfriends, we're doing the North Lake, South Lake Loop up in the Sierra in July. Um, and we're doing it backwards because that's what the permits got us. So we're starting actually in uh, going up and over Bishop Pass and coming back around. So that should be fun. And then I also have uh, Teton Crest Trail in August. Um, it's a birthday trip with some friends backpacking through there. So I'm exci- I'm actually excited because I have some like legit like multi-day backpacking trips coming up. So getting excited for that. Jeff, what do you got? Oh, I got a lot. I got a full, my dance card is full. So I'm, I'm kind of expanding. So I've got a, um, an overland trip with some other Land Rover owners, uh, from central Oregon coming up over Memorial day weekend. So that'll be three nights, four days in southeastern Oregon, some remote section near the border with uh, Idaho and Nevada. Yeah, so I'm you know, really looking forward to that, exploring an area I haven't been to before. Um, I am still working on my Oregon Six Pack of Peaks challenge. So I've got two out of the six peaks done. Some of them, the roads aren't open yet to get to the trailhead. So I'm kind of waiting on that. And I've got some you know, rough ideas scheduled for that. Um, we have, uh, bike packing. So I've got two bike packing trips planned. One that's coming up in a couple weeks, the, the first week of June. And I'm going to be doing uh, a portion of the route that I'll be doing in hopefully an entirety in October for the big lonely. If you remember, we had Jesse Blau on earlier this year or last year. And, um, uh, he's the organizer for this Big Lonely, which is a 330-mile bike packing route in Central Oregon, 
And uh, I'm going to try to do this without breaking any bones. So that's going to be an, my, my main goal. I'm not trying to win any races or anything like that. And the Teton Crest Trail with Jason and yep. a couple of other friends. We're, we've got Derek that coming and, up in September. Yeah, Derek, who's been on the so. show a couple times. And hopefully our friend Adam, who you may remember, runs the uh, Atlas up in Sacramento area, the outdoor education thing. Yeah. We're hoping he can yeah. make it. Yeah. We'll see if his school might not allow, but but he's almost in. And Anthony, so yeah, you're, you're our what scout. Are, what you're are your dates us. again? We're September, like mid-September. So you're okay, scouting yeah. for us. So we, we're going exactly. to expect a full... A full report. Full report. Yeah. How many days are you doing, Severia, on, on Teton Crest? Do you remember? I want to say two or three nights. Oh, so you're going fast because we're doing five or six, I, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, no I, I think, think we're I doing think, three I nights. Say, yeah. Three I think nights. It's, oh, we are? I thought we were I say. I want to say it's... Yeah, three nights, four days. Nights. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it's the same. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, Super exciting. Sadly, right yeah. now, that's all I have, like, actually officially on my calendar and for the next basically two months, I'm going to be sitting in this chair staring at this screen that no, no one can see now as a listener, but but pretty slammed for the next couple of months work-wise. But um, I'm looking at pictures on Instagram of all how how much of the snow has already melted in the Sierra. So come come July, I think I'll, my, my schedule will open up and I'll start creeping up there um, and trying to try to get at least one or two tri- Sierra trips in before Teton Crest. But uh, I feel yeah. like you're good at... I feel like you're good at like fitting trips in, like yeah, you know, like taking advantage when you do have that time off. I feel like you're good at like yeah, s- sneaking off and scooting out to do things. Well, I think we've talked about this before with other people, like freelancers. It's such a hard thing because you never know when you're when you're going to be free. So a lot of my trips, it's like, oh hey, I have you know work booked in two weeks, but I don't have anything today. <laughs> you know, so I feel like I can go and not feel guilty about not looking for work to try to pay my bills. So that's usually when I sort of uh, when I sneak off. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty much booked through October right now, so I'm not, it's actually quite a bit of work. And you know, I force myself to take two weeks off a year. That's kind of how I do the freelancer thing. And Rainier was one of those weeks, and then Teton Crest is the other week. So I'll, I'll definitely get up and sneak up for some weekenders and some things like that. A lot of everyone, we're all you know, it's early in the year, so we're all the Sierra trips. We're all kind of talking, and we're gonna try to try to get up and do some stuff. But I'm a little jealous that you guys have so much more than me going on uh, <laughs> in the coming uh, in the coming weeks or the coming months. But uh, yeah, but Rainier was great. So we'll send, yeah, we'll send you pictures. We'll oh, send thanks. you pictures. Thanks, Jeff. You Thank can, you. I appreciate you can live vicariously that. through us. We'll give you wish you were here cards. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I think on that note, sometimes let's, uh, it goes that way. Yeah, we'll, we'll be back in a couple weeks. As you can hear, we're all quite busy, but but we'll be back in a couple weeks. We're doing our best to do that every other Tuesday, but sometimes we can't just because of our schedules. You know, summer's a little harder to get our adventure friends because they're all adventuring as well. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women. That's Adventure US Women. Jeff at The SoCal Hiker or me at The Muir Project. Our title track Almost There is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. We'll be back in a couple weeks with a guest again. As always, thanks for listening.